Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We're joined today by Dan Brazil, Retail Customer Advocate from Bowl360. Hi, Dan. Hello there. Good morning, Simon. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Very well today. Good, good. So we're going to have a look today, it'll be an interesting one, this, on how AI and automation can create high-value touch points across customer journeys. Before we dive into the detail, can we find out a bit more about you, Dan? So what you've done, how you arrived at Bowl360? Absolutely. Uh, how far back do I go? Well, I, I've always had a passion for technology. And uh, I think my first experience really in terms of democratizing technology that was only available to a limited few was way back at the uh, turn of the century in, uh, in, in the late 90s. Uh, I was uh, originally a record producer, sound engineer, and I used to uh, have to hire out lots of expensive studios that I then realized that some of this technology could be reduced to running off your own laptop, your own computer, in your own studio. And uh, that led me to uh, have a string of successful records under my own name and uh, various aliases in the UK garage scene. Uh, And it really saw me propel my desire to innovate, be creative. And uh, one way or another, I left the music industry, uh, but carried on wanting to help organizations leverage uh, innovative technology. Uh, and I've worked for a number of SaaS companies over the last decade or so, helping them achieve their goals with the technology uh, that's going to be agile enough to allow them to pivot in moments where business transformation is critical. So there are some parallels. Uh, you weren't probably expecting that uh, as a starter for 10. But I've uh, I've worked a lot over retail uh, customers and the retail vertical. Maybe that was by... Uh, more luck than design, but uh, I've had the privilege uh, to have worked with the likes of John Lewis, with Shop Direct for a, a number of years, and proud to count companies now like AO.com, Zalando, uh, and Dyson as uh, customers that we work with uh, at Bold360. And really, it's all about the uh, unprecedented level of uh, customer interactions uh, that these companies have and how we can better serve them and help them make their experience more meaningful, more connected and more immediate, I think. So those are some of the things that, that I, I'm occupied with at the moment. A range of experiences there going back, uh, like you say, to the, a couple of decades from uh, the garage scene through to AI and automation. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff. If we focus on retail, because that's where I really feel at home and I think you do as well, before the whole COVID-19 thing those retailers that were really excelling seem to be focusing on digital. So having cross-platform strategies and that whole end-to-end journey and people talked about omni-channel for years. I'm not sure anybody's really, really done it, but they're all heading there and that's giving them that that gain. Do you think post all of the pandemic stuff that will remain important and will people accelerate some of that digital focus or will it go in a different direction? That's a great question. What has this all meant to people uh, who are responsible for determining the strategy uh, of companies and and their customer experience? Well, we've seen a massive acceleration in digital transformation. Is it a pivot? Arguably not. These were trends that were afoot way before the COVID situation, but we've seen an acceleration. And I think there's been the perfect storm when it comes to retail. You've got the the mix of the high streets uh, and people dwindling uh, when it comes to footfall. You've got the rise of the pure play e-commerce powerhouses. Uh, and you've got the now, I guess, the majority of people 
who were reluctant to go online have now crossed that chasm. And so you've seen over the last couple of months uh, an almost exponential growth in people happy to go online. And that's a, that's a genie which won't get put back in the bottle, Simon. We've seen now, you know, personally through the lens which I look at when I speak to, to customers is how, how do we automate at certain areas of the customer journey? How do we provide the kind of more predictive, more intent driven uh, at scale? Uh, and that's, that's I think, uh, the trend that's going to be here to stay. I, I think you're going to also start to see perhaps uh, less of a silo mentality, which I think it has been the trouble people talk about on the channel, but uh, it doesn't mean much to the customer. Uh, it, it often means that companies don't have a, a very well-defined uh, approach to, uh, uh, to to customer engagement, uh, and it and then responsibility resides in different silos. What, what I'm seeing now is a more connected, top-down uh, approach to deploying some of these tool sets uh, and, the, and the mentality which goes with it. Yeah, and I think Sainsbury's have announced that their new retail director is the digital director as well, which I think is an interesting interesting move, clearly trying to join those channels together, as you say, from the from the top down. So when you talk about automation, are there specific things that people are looking to use automation or AI machine learning in that you're seeing as accelerated? Yeah. It was that perfect storm I mentioned before of contact centers taking a hammering and the agents, uh, customer service advisors, not being able to continue their work if they couldn't work from home adequately. And uh, a lot of uh, retailers being flooded with questions. Uh, and when you look at the questions, and I know from the work that you've done with your customers, you'll attest to this, you know, it's really interesting to break down the classification, the type of questions that. Uh, customers ask and the vast majority of them are pretty low level in terms of the complexity of questions in fact the information's probably out there on most of the the websites that they're they're doing the their e-commerce on anyway but it's about accessing that information so they end up spending a lot of or wasting a lot of agents time asking questions that could be deflected through through automation questions like the classic wismo where is my order or product-related questions, so personalized questions based on what they've, you know, last purchased, or is there a, uh, is there a manual for this? Can I, can I return something? All of these are, are the kind of things that we can automate. There's no point, I don't think, asking another human being to do that Googling on your behalf, as it were, as I like to think of it. You know, if the information is there, then it can be very transactional, and that can be delivered through digital assistance. I'm not suggesting we get rid of people. Uh, there's a lot of a misrepresentation of these technologies, and there's a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt that some people spread uh, uh, that is tantamount to the bots are going to get rid of your jobs. But that's not the case at all. Uh, these are tools which can make people more efficient. And so when you hand over to a, a real person, it's critical that there is a good baton passing. And they can see the history, the provenance of what that customer's done. And, and they can then do what people do best, which is empathize with someone who has a more challenging problem, which can't just be answered in a transactional way or informational way. And in giving your uh, customer service representatives a leeway to uh, make their own decisions and change the course of a, of a customer's journey from one that might be unsatisfied to one that's delighted. So it's that harmony between the two, Simon. And I think that's really where... Uh, the organizations uh, that I'm coming across are trying to get that balance right. 
in a world where potentially people may want less interaction with humans, I don't know, you've got those examples in hotels, let's say, so city hotels, I'm sure lots of the questions are binary. So in London, where is um, Madame Two Swords or where is Big Ben? Where's the nearest tube station? All those principles could be applied in in that industry as well, I assume. Yeah, I mean, we're taking information. I think when it comes to the customer service automation that I'm referring to, sometimes uh, colloquially known as chatbots, what we're doing is we are surfacing knowledge that is already there in a readily available conversational format. And that's really uh, all about predicting and understanding the intent of the customer and giving the right information. I mean, you're just speeding up the process of finding information. So there's a variety of different use cases, like you just suggested, uh, in the hospitality sector, asking questions uh, and, and then perhaps being prompted. If you're you know, interested in looking at Big Ben, there's a tour that leaves at, uh, at 12.30 on the corner of uh, the street that you're a hotel is on would you be interested in booking a ticket for that and those are those value add those are those context aware kind of moments where if you could join the dots together that's where you can improve your own fortunes uh, because you're contextually aware of what the customer is looking at at that particular moment and i assume can overcome language barriers so you can present that information in whatever language the customer wants to receive it yeah uh, i mean i can't speak for every product that's out there but uh, we, we cover a, a vast array of languages i think we're in excess of 20 languages the most common languages certainly all, all of the european languages are covered so yeah i mean that that's uh, you want to make it as accessible as possible it's fascinating how it's how it's going to play out it really is so on that note there's been lots of great partnerships between retailers and suppliers and i use the word partnership during lockdown because it i think it extends beyond the uh, customer supplier relationship so people have pulled together they put screens in retailers quickly they've mobilized queuing systems aldi you've got the red and green traffic light thing going on now have you got any examples where you've mobilized quickly to support yeah and i'm really pleased you've uh, said partnership because that's the relationship that i think retailers really want with a vendor or a provider not just someone who is going to uh, give them access to a piece of software, but someone who's going to take the time to get to know what they're trying to achieve, where the pain really is, and collaborate with them, listen to them, and help them understand the learnings from it. Because uh, these are not tool sets which are, are once and done. It's uh, an iterative process, as I'm sure you can imagine what machine learning is about, uh, about accumulating knowledge over time. Now, that said, uh, we can be very quick and reactive to pressing situations and there was such a situation um, with part of the kingfisher home empire home improvement empire uh, over in spain uh, the equivalent of b&q is called brico depot and uh, in the early days of covid they had to shut down all of their stores just like everybody in that sector did and uh, they didn't have any e-commerce provision at all it was amazing really within two weeks they managed to spin up their e-commerce capability and uh, started trading again, yet there was no real customer service function to uh, respond to a whole new world of questions that uh, their customers were presenting them with. And they needed a very quick way 
to deflect a lot of these inbound inquiries. And we were introduced and I think on the Wednesday we had an initial discussion uh, and Thursday we provided a proof of concept and uh, and on Friday we went live. So things can happen really quickly. And by Saturday, uh, I think we'd had over 10,000 deflections. So the results of this is that uh, they're currently considering turning email off completely because this has been so successful as a way to deflect these inbound inquiries so yeah we can we can i think being nimble and agile has been very beneficial uh, in these moments and uh, there's been a lot of um challenges around perhaps people being furloughed and uh, there's been less resources that retailers can tap on so they're looking for the kind of tools that they can deploy and manage themselves and and that diy mentality uh, the democratization of technology. I started on that. What really led me to set up and stand on my own two feet when I was in the recording business was the ability to to run with the technology myself, and and that hasn't changed uh, uh, in terms of the the way that I approach matters. Is you know if you could have your own destiny in your hands and have control of of the technology uh, and not be reliant on on somebody else to do it all for you, that's really powerful. Uh, and I think that's what uh, the retailers I'm speaking to are looking for at the moment. Yeah, and we, we've touched on a couple of the podcasts about there's an irony in times of darkness, world wars, etc. Innovation goes through the roof because people have to move quickly. They may try 10 things, four, six of them stick, and they move on from the ones that don't, where in more normal times there may be more governance, more focus on the things that don't work or a fear of what happens to those teams of people that work on those things don't work. So post you know if we look forward maybe the next six months do you think that these initiatives that have been put in place to cover a a certain space of time will will stick and there'll be more innovation coming or actually it will slow back down to the normal pattern and process or bureaucracy will get in the way well that's a great question are we going to see you know first of all i'm thinking are we going to see a, a return to pre-COVID levels of customer uh, engagement in, you know, face-to-face kind of transactions. Uh, are we going to see a return to football at the high street? Yeah. No, no, I don't think we are. I don't think it's going to be as uh, it's going to be as much uh, digital e-commerce as we are seeing now, but it, but it will subside. And, and with that, we will start to see perhaps a return to normality. But what is, I think, unequivocal is that people have started their journey to embracing these technologies just as you know, we've seen uh, a vast spike in in the demographic of people who've never done anything online before who have now become comfortable with it. The same is true with customers in retail space that they are now using uh, these technologies and they're seeing the benefits for it. Um, so I think this is something that's here to stay. And I, and I did say earlier, this is an iterative process. I think anything to do with these technologies, the sooner you can get on it and start to create your own tapestry of data uh the more insight you can glean from it uh, and uh, the more powerful it will be over time i think those people who are waiting for things to go back to a normal who are not uh, putting their pedal on the innovation accelerator are going to be the ones that are going to be left behind there are two types of people i i come across those who are uh, like we say accelerating this journey and those who are kind of sticking their head in the sands uh, and that's not necessarily going to be to the benefit of their businesses so no i i, I hope uh, organizations will stay agile people talk about it a lot um 
rarely does it always move as quickly as I've seen with certain examples like the Brico Depot case. But I think there is an appetite and an acceptance that uh, we can't you know, spend months and months cogitating on something when solutions can be deployed in days and uh, if not shorter periods of time. So if you were running a retail organisation, what would be your priorities, let's say up until Christmas? I know health and safety will be number one for everybody. So let's take that as a given. After that, what would be your priorities from a, a tech point of view, let's say? Made me think about a book that I've just read and and, uh, and I, I certainly uh, get, give a really good pitch to Steve Dennis. Uh, I don't know whether you've come across Remarkable Retail. Uh, he talked yep. about the five forces of the present day challenge. And, uh, and just before I answer these, we have to think about some of these forces that have arisen out of the coronavirus pandemic. And, and these are bifurcation. That's the continuation of the death of the middle. Uh, and that's a trend that we've seen over this past 10 years, and it's going to continue with these renewed aggressions. So retailers that are stuck in the middle who don't have a defining characteristic or a great offering are going to be declining fast. Now, that means to say, you know, when you look at the department stores, I think they've taken some of the, the biggest hits in, in the fallout of, of what's happened with COVID. They, they don't have anything special to distinguish them, whereas you've seen sort of single product companies do remarkably well and that you know you look at say Gymshark for example a, a single niche which is you know which has exploded I saw Ben Francis on uh, on BBC One News just the other day and, and he's weathered the storm very well not a single person on furlough so you know if you're in the middle you need to be a little bit worried I think there the second of the five forces he talks about is the acceleration. So in recognition of the of COVID, we forced this digital disruption. We've been speaking about that uh, already a lot. Uh, what, what we've seen, people are, people are moving very quickly to that. There's also the contraction. So is there going to be an overall pullback in spending? Uh, because consumers are more risk averse and they've got less capacity to spend. Uh, where are they spending it on? Is it just going to be essentials? Are we going to see retailers who, who aren't selling things that are critical to to everyday life like the food uh, and grocery industry you know why have they done done very well because th- these are these are the essentials so people i think are going to be more cautious uh, around what they spend so therefore the offer has to be really right so i need i, th- I think that that's critical for retailers and then there's a reallocation of where people spend, uh, where the pie goes and uh, you're thinking around uh, health and wellness areas and uh, home office expenses that's that's a new one as well you know there's going to be whole new businesses that are springing up uh, around the, this new normal when people are not going back to their old working patterns so uh, i think there's opportunities here to quickly uh, understand uh, what customer demographics are looking like now i think there's certainly been a lot of disruption there and then the last one is the consolidation force that he talks about you know it's a spending and power has become concentrated uh, amongst those who are the last men standing as he refers to it so you're going to see a lot of stronger companies buying up uh, the weak and uh, there's going to be uh, some some shifting around there but we, we already see it you know uh, pretty common to hear uh, mutterings and rumors around boohoo and who they might snap up next once to, uh, another retail uh, fashion house has, uh, has gone under always looking like they're on the ropes so there so there's you're going to see a, a lot of consolidation i think around there so I, I with that in mind 
I think retailers have to be conscious uh, about these challenges and make sure that that they're aware of what they're doing and how their technology that they deploy relates to the customer experience. Uh, and, and that's what it comes down to. We, we need to be giving our customers the best experience that they can have and uh, trying to treat them as individuals at scale. And that's really where the technology can, can be pretty, pretty awesome in terms of helping them achieve that goal. Yeah, I think interest, really interesting points and thought-provoking. There's a couple of bits that resonate with me. One, that whole reallocation of spend. I'm really interested to see how we, or if we continue to spend in that casual dining space or if that changes i think there's some there's some challenges there just in the whole how it's all going to work piece and that whole middle you talked about that i won't mention the retailer but somebody would said to me the other day we were talking generally about uh, retail and i mentioned the retailer's name that had just gone unfortunately out of business and they said oh, i thought they went out of business about four years ago and it was kind of that's that's the point that's probably why they have because you know you thought they didn't even exist for the last four years so they were clearly stuck in the middle or more towards the bottom, let's say. In terms of the key points you've talked about and how people are going to start to look to the future and have to work differently and think differently, there's going to be more emphasis, I assume, for them to work with their um, suppliers as partners moving forward, like we've seen in the kind of short term of getting them up and running and stable in the the COVID period. Yeah, Simon, I think that's uh, absolutely spot on. The relationship, uh, I, I call myself a, a customer advocate for good reason, because I think it's imperative that when a retailer has a relationship with a vendor, they have an advocate on their side. And that's not just a blithe title or a throwaway remark. It, it's something that I take very seriously. Uh, I go in and represent the retailer's interests, especially when you've got a a company that has a diverse portfolio of products and spans many different verticals outside retail, it's really important uh, that I think uh, if a partnership is going to work, you have someone that is really focused on some of the nuanced pains that retailers are experiencing. And I, I take those pains and uh, represent them amongst the company, make sure that our products are aligned to what they need to get out of them, and uh, generally beat the the drum for for what they're hoping to achieve uh, that doesn't mean that i i don't work for the company that i work for uh, but it, it i think it creates a sometimes a, a healthy or unhealthy tension depending on who you speak to in my in, in my line of management but so it's a responsibility and i i like to walk that tightrope at times you know you balance on one side a little bit more than the other uh, but that's that's what partnership is and i think uh, why I've been successful uh, is helping really drive through the value of that partnership and uh, helping my customers really get the best out of uh, a relationship with with a big enterprise that we are. And that's why you may start with something small, but build steam and develop a really good relationship over time. And that's where I think retailers really want. They, they, they want to have a consolidation, no doubt about it as well. When I speak to retailers, they want to have uh, uh, perhaps less providers. So it's really important that you know you can tick a lot of the boxes 
that they may have uh, supplied by various different smaller vendors. There's nothing wrong with them. And sometimes those smaller vendors, I'll be honest, uh, might have a, a, a greater niche feature or capability. But that in of itself isn't enough to satisfy the overarching desire to connect the customer experience uh, uh, across multi-channel, omni-channel, whatever you want to call it. Well, that's where less is is more, less providers giving more value, more insight and more success for their missions in the world. So if you had one word to share with everybody to describe how retailers and suppliers will work together kind of moving forward, what what would that be? It's collaboration. It's about being uh, honest with each other. I think it's crucial that we are uh, able to understand each other and collaborate. So I would use the word collaboration, definitely. So if people want to find out more or get in touch with you, Dan, where's the best place for them to do that? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn and my name is Dan Brazil. Uh, if you have any interested running or ultra running, uh, you can find me on Strava as well. It's amazing just how many uh, connections that, that I uh, that I have. I don't know whether it's a certain demographic that I'm in or, or, or whatever that says, but uh, I'm a keen runner. Disappointedly, uh, that I, I was unable, uh, obviously due to COVID, to uh, participate in the race that was going to be happening next week, uh, which was the South Downs Way 100 miler. But Maybe we'll be able to get to do that in November, but I digress. But professionally, you can find me on LinkedIn and Dan Brazil. I'm with Bold360, which is part of Log Me In. And uh, the URL for understanding anything about what we do is bold360.com. That's bold360.com. Perfect. And final question for everybody that comes on the podcast to get the same one. We don't tell you, so it's thinking on your feet time. What's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? Research. Understand who you're speaking to and be relevant. And uh, the best bit of advice I have is never go into a meeting unless you've had a look at the news feed of that company. I remember uh, once I went into, into a meeting and made you know had my presentation and it was based on out of date information uh, that they'd been acquired by someone else and uh, i i was curtly told well the guys who were in here before actually understood where we are now that not a year and a half ago so thank you but no thank is to understand what the company is going through uh, that's more important than trying to pedal your greatest and best technology that will come we have the greatest and best technology that, that i'm assured but i think that advice really something that i've taken to my core brilliant love that one dan well thanks for your time it's been a pleasure to speak to you look after yourself thank you simon